0: In one of my classes, this like really esteemed like African American ethics professor right was giving a slideshow, and the first slide was like, "Okay, now let me explain. You know, let me let me propose the idea that race is a social construct." Mm -hmm, And I was like, mm -hmm. "If we're at this level of conversation, the church is as good as dead." (laughs) Okay, and and for him to go through that, and, and I'm just thinking, "Oh my gosh!" So there are many moments where I'm like, "All right, it's time to like, you know." pull up my hoodie and just like put my let's head Let's begin, blank paper and pen, stories to tell, battles to win,
1: deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin, let's begin, let's begin, let's begin. This is Leroy
2: Barber this is a sit-up podcast. Uh, I'm our producer Andrew Morgan We are here in Durham North Carolina uh, and y'all know we are uh, we are in our bubble um, our uh, get the vote out bubble Pastor Jay is with us Jess Bielman uh, Andrew Morgan and myself uh, and we are on about our fifth stop uh, here in Durham and we are excited to be here. Um, so here is the deal to here is the deal for this podcast. This is gonna be dope. So, we are with uh three count them three Duke Divinity students, right? And so, we're gonna talk a little um church and voting and evangelical vote and all that kind of good stuff, but first. Uh, we we're with Pastor Jay So Pastor Jay is going to be kind of a co-host today what you got bro <laughs> Ooh, I
3: got elevated, I'm the co-host <laughs> now right,
2: That's what's
3: up, that's what's up Yo, what's up everybody, Pastor Jay on here Man, this trip has been amazing um, I'm super excited because we're down in Durham with uh, my babies, as I like to call them. Many people know I was a former Chicago city director at Mission Year. And Mission, in Chicago, uh-huh. yeah. Oh,
2: Mission so I don't know. Uh, okay. Hey, <laughs>
3: they don't pay my checks no more, so that wasn't... But uh, yeah, so these are three of the young people that were in my Mission Year Chicago team, all current Divinity students, two at Duke and one actually in Northern in Chicago. And so... Um, I'm thankful they're here. We're going to have some good convo dialogue. I'll introduce the first one to you. is Miss Stephanie Cassell, who I'm going to let introduce herself in a second. And then we got Meredith Frost and we got Bill DeFovio. So we're going to let them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about themselves. And then we're going to get into this thing. Leroy is ready. He's like sitting up in his chair. I wish I could see him. I'm ready for this convo. Go ahead.
1: Well, hello, um, So I'm Stephanie Cassell. Yeah, truly a pleasure to be here. Wasn't expected, but I'm excited, still excited. Um, so I'm a first year Divinity student at Duke Divinity School, so mm-hmm. been there for a couple weeks, so I'm excited to be there.
2: And you're from the area?
1: Oh, yes. Um, actually, yeah, from Charlotte, North Carolina, so a uh. little ways down the way, um, but you're yeah, familiar with the area for sure.
2: Nice. Thank you. Thanks for being on.
4: I'm Meredith Rawls. I actually grew up in this area, and I'm a third year Duke Divinity and... MSW student so I'm doing the combination between social work and divinity right now can't wait till graduation counting down the days
5: (laughs) and what's up everyone my name's Bill DeFolvio and uh, I'm originally from Pennsylvania outside of Philly and I am I think I'm in my second or third year in uh, uh, Christian Community Development master's program at Northern. But I do sneak in, in a couple of Duke Divinity classes when I can. Don't tell anybody. Won't show up on my transcript. <laughs> <Yeah>. though.
2: <laughs> now, we, we always uh, we're going to we're going to get a little spoken word in this episode sure. since we got Pastor sure. Jay and uh, uh, you from outside of Philly. So we got to take <laughs> care of a little bit of business first. Um, uh, are you an Eagles fan? Of course. Oh, um, uh, I feel right. like stopping this, pa- this podcast right now. <laughs> I'm a Cowboys fan, oh, so oh, I am I, from I, I, Philly
3: I, and a Cowboys fan.
2: There's,
5: uh, there's something wrong with this guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I did that for all the folks from Philly that's listening in. Now they're going to be like, oh, yeah. yeah. So let's, let's get started. I want to jump in. Um, uh, let, two things. Let's start here first. So as we're going around. Um, there's a lot of apathy about voting, right? And a lot amongst young people. Uh, and let's start there and talk about like where you are with voting um, and where you think that apathy comes from. Where, like why so much of it right now? Mm. Mm. Come on now. <laughs> One, well, go
1: ahead. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I usually like to sit and marinate and think about <laughs> things. But um, so to go to answer the one part of the question about where I am, um, so to be honest, in times past there has been a bit of apathy, but I would vote still to do my you know civic duty. Uh, but having the feeling of you know what what tangible change am I going to see or what realistic change am I going to see in my in my world? Um, but of course, given this uh, next election cycle that. Yeah, apathy has shifted or fallen off almost completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as why I think it's present amongst young people, um, that's a great question. I think similar to how I was feeling before, not seeing how uh, this one simple decision could have any real impact on my day to day. Um, And hearing some of what you all were speaking about and thinking about um, people I've interacted with, um, having the individual mindset of um, I do whatever I decide to do, it needs to be impacting me. Mm -hmm. um and not as much look out for um i'm voting for my neighbor even if the only impact that i will see will be for my neighbor Mm -hmm. Um, for whatever Mm -hmm. reason that may not be a sufficient reason to vote um so yeah i think the individual mindset a bit um not being able to really track down and see that the impact of one vote how that will change my day-to-day nice so
4: yeah
2: thanks y'all got anything that
4: I think during this season, I've just done a lot of pondering of where would Jesus situate himself and how Jesus would act during this time in which our country is polarized more than we've ever seen in our lifetime. Um, And I constantly remember that Jesus would situate himself and vote on behalf of the people that are overlooked and outcasted Mm -hmm. by the systems, by the decisions, by the policies. Um, And so I think that is my motivating factor is to... Mm -hmm. Like, we need to vote because we are a collective part of a body of a community. Um, Our neighbors who are disproportionately affected by the policies and laws and systems like deserve to be advocated for um, in this voting process. But I think among young people, um, it's easy to think, oh, my vote doesn't matter. There's Mm -hmm. so many people out there. There's thousands of people that live in the state. There's millions of people that live in the country. So what does one vote matter? But I think that's frustrating because when I think that collectively comes together, then there are these like small margins like in which people's single votes um, could have made the difference. Mm-hmm, and I think that's mm-hmm. what we have to emphasize right now.
2: Yeah, that's good.
5: Yet, yeah, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, I was of the same and, you know, apathetic, you know, I'm one person, you know, I don't trust the government, you know, why get involved? And so I, I get that perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you see the, when you, when you see on a surface level, things aren't changing or aren't affecting, weren't affecting me in a personal way. Why, why I care? But now, um, now I've been able to understand, uh, be in circles where i have been able to understand the history behind voting mm-hmm. and how how that wasn't always um, a given to everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes it makes you curious, like, why would people fight so hard in the past if this is something that doesn't matter? Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, people like I, I was just reading a book by William William Barber and Jonathan Wilson Harcrive called The Third Reconstruction. And he was talking about, I think, I think it was in the 40s or 50s, uh, folks who were helping drive people to the polls mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and these people's. These people's were uh, houses were bombed, um, and some of them even even lost their lives. They were killed because it was a threat. The fact that they were these are people of color, African Americans, that were trying to to vote, mm-hmm. to have their their voice be heard, and I, and so I don't think we I don't think especially youth if we don't know history, you know, depending on who our history teachers are, if they if they paint it in a super mm-hmm, boring mm-hmm, perspective. Mm-hmm why am I going to care about history? But the more and more I'm learning about it, it's just so there's been so much that's been done to make voting available. And we don't know that if we don't Mm -hmm, know our history, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so much has been sacrificed and uh, there's a reason behind that. Mm -hmm. And I think if we believe collectively that our vote doesn't matter, then that's, then that'll eventually be a self-fulfilling prophecy. uh, And we, we ultimately give up our power Mm -hmm, if we're not mm -hmm. voting. And so, yeah. And, To the to the point of, hey, is my one vote going to matter on November 4th? And I think that that's a huge step in the right direction, like getting out there um, to do that. That's the that's the beginning. But if we're only worrying about change and having our voice heard on one day every four years, then there's going to be a very small impact. But, you know, what I'm what I'm learning on my own journey is that's one opportunity for our voice to be heard. But there's local elections and state elections and that is where real change can happen and if more people understand that come Mm -hmm. together then Mm -hmm. then that's where that local community change can start to happen um not just not just putting your power into one one time every four years
2: cool so thank you so so um there's there's the there's a a, another part of this that i want to want to want to throw out a question about um you both grew up in north carolina are from this area um, and you're from Pennsylvania and those, those are both swing States. Right. Uh, and um, w- where we've been, we we were in, uh, we were in, we were in Canton, mm-hmm. um, which is another swing state in Ohio. And we asked them like, Hey, Do y'all feel a little bit of pressure right now? Right. As as folks of color, black folks like other black folks being like, y'all need to vote, man, because we need your state. Like, do y'all feel any of that? Is any of that real? Like um, or do people in safe states like not understand like fully what that means? I don't I don't I don't know if they do. So help, help us think through what it means to be in a swing
4: state. If I, it means anything, to, like again, like we don't know. I think that's interesting because I think in the Raleigh-Durham area, we also live in a bubble of people that are really fired up about these issues that we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the circles that I'm in, even the circles that I'm in through the Divinity School, through the Social Work School at UNC, um, through conversations, through learning from people like William Barber, um, I feel like there's just a lot of like the fire is like building that Mm -hmm. this is urgent and that Mm -hmm. people need to get out. And that like Bill was saying, like it's not just one time of voting, but it's continued advocacy after the day of election, before the day of election. But there's just so much organizing that has to be done that I think, I mean, especially Durham, like Durham is just a very progressive, very understanding a city that really cares about equity or -hmm. the circles that Mm -hmm. I'm in, especially. Mm -hmm. And so I think Like we are kind of, I guess, jaded from the reality of the entire state of North Carolina. And Mm -hmm. so it's hard for me to really see and understand what that means for North Carolina to be a swing state, just because I feel like I live amongst people that think like me, that act like me, that Mm. believe like me. Um, So I think if you drive 30 minutes outside of Durham, If you go towards the eastern part of the state in the Appalachia region, I think that would look a lot different. But I think where we are hugged here, we are situated amongst people that think similarly, believe similarly, act similarly. And so it's hard for me to truly recognize the extent to which North Carolina is a swing state.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Any other comments around that? No? All right. All right, y'all yeah, know I'm, I'm ready
3: to dive in. You got anything, Pastor Jay? Because I'm ready to dive into part I, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for. <laughs> I do want to do something because you're here. Go I wanna, for it. I want to do something really quickly. I want to bring on a, a, a fourth voice. Um, don't shake your head. I see you over there. I'm bringing on a fourth voice because uh, another Duke Divinity student. Um, is in the house? Is in the house. <laughs> Mrs. Angie Hong. And so I wanted to bring her on. I told her I'm COVID free. I took a test. She come take my mic. Um, but I really wanted to get her voice uh, specifically to talk about. we talk talking about women of color, talking about black women's vote, talking about all that along this thing. But I think bringing their perspective uh, as an Asian American, like might be a good combo. That's with cool. The dialogue yeah, with absolutely. So I told her I already been texting her. Get on over here and uh, and share a little uh, bit. And yeah, then when you dig on, in, man. she can give her voice too
2: drop some knowledge on us. Yeah, Those right at home. Right whatever have. you
3: doing, you stop what you doing, put your hands together and give it up. <laughs> For Mrs. Angie. Home, Yeah. Woo! So now we have now we now we
2: got four divinity students. And we we want to we're going to get down into this thing now. So so the church right, is a very divisive space right now, right, Uh, around race, around COVID, around this election. The church is in the middle of all the division, right? Uh, 80-something percent of white evangelicals, I will qualify that, um, voted for Trump, right? Um, uh, COVID, right, is killing you know, black and people of color at a dispar- at a disproportionate levels. Right. Um, we just had heard a verdict uh, uh, that didn't uh, again, once again, didn't take police officers to trial around um, Brianna. Right. And so. Y'all are in divinity school. Why in the world are you joining the church and like right now? Nobody wants, no, like, m- many people are disillusioned by the church. And you're in divinity school. Why?
5: Who said anybody was joining a church?
2: I, hey, you, come, I'm asking the questions here. What is that all about? What does this mean?
1: Yeah. So you're saying, like, what does this mean for us right now? to still be pursuing, I guess, ministry. Yeah.
2: Why are you doing that?
1: Yeah. That's a great question. I feel like I'm still answering, but for, uh, <laughs> for, for the purpose of this and, you know, in our uh, current context, I think well, one, I mean, I still believe in the beauty of the church um, and what the church can be. So uh, maybe naive, but the, the hope or um, yeah, the hope of what the church can be. So, thinking that there is a space to be there. And then two, given um, who we have as, you know, having Jesus, rep- what that represents and of all faiths, um, having someone that I think, or being within the faith or being within the church that I feel that isn't, it's hard to say because we speaking about white evangelical or just about evangelicals, but um, seeing that, the what Christ represents, what, um, what Christianity can, can represent um is an ideal place and can be a beautiful place for there to be real reconciliation um, that is lasting um, if if we and for i guess being a student really being students of of the word students of of leaders students of um, people who are out here doing work students of the community um to to present what i would what i really see the church can be what i really see um, christianity or faith can be um, so yeah, my, my pursuits are a hopeful pursuit and what I believe about my faith and what it can be, um, what I've seen to be true as well. Um, and wanting to, yeah, we have to, yeah, we have to, we have to lead in these spaces. So I don't think it's an invitation to turn away, mm-hmm. but more so to get in the, I hate to say the belly, of but to, to get in, um, to get in there, to really. To see change. Um, mm, okay. Yeah,
2: I right All right. Well, we got two women of color up here, and, yeah. and women of, in my opinion, women of color are leading the way in so many. And if you're saying that we got to grasp onto our hope, understandable, right? That's cool. What
0: else? Well, I'm an older student. <laughs> I already have. A lot of years of experience. So I'm uh, unlike, uh, so I hear the hope in your voice and that makes me excited because you're younger. (laughs) I'm a little, I'm a little older. So, uh, yeah, my name is Angie and, um, I came to divinity school for, uh, a lot of different reasons, but what it is enabling me to do. First of all, this is a divinity school. It is tied to a larger university Mm -hmm. and it's tied to a very top tier school. Mm -hmm. Okay. So most of the, the, the best classes I've taken so far in divinity school are outside mm-hmm. the divinity school. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. like history of hip hop, mm-hmm. um, uh, religion, mm-hmm. <laughs> theorizing religion, decolonial thinking, mm-hmm. uh, some post-colonial stuff. So for me, I think what it's helping me to do, it's giving me the tools to name the things that I have experienced, mm-hmm. but wasn't really able to name. Uh, but I experienced them on my body mm-hmm. being a woman mm-hmm. of color in, you know, uh, white spaces and Korean spaces and white multicultural spaces. Um, it's enabling me to really name things Mm. and, and really flesh out how I got, how, People like me get to this place. What are the things that we experience in our bodies? And how can we name that? And how, is, there a, is there a place for creativity and ingenuity around moving forward together? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that is hope. I, I consider that sort of maybe creativity and negotiation, like that kind of middle ground. But that's sort of where I'm coming from right now in Divinity School. But see,
2: that's cool. Like, you, you didn't name that as hope. But like, yeah, you've experienced life, yeah, and you are going back for something, which I think I think is dope, and I think <laughs> is hopeful uh, in and of itself. That's brave, right? Um, and so, okay,
0: you can call it. That no, I, I do. <laughs> I think, I, I think I,
2: personally, yeah. I think women of color are brave, and so that represents some of that. So. Um, so I appreciate those answers, both of them, because I, don't, I just don't think that that's put into the into this into the cynicism that like, somebody like me might have. Right. Oh, man, mm-hmm. I'm cynical. Right. I, I work for the church and I'm like, I don't I don't know if this yeah. thing's going to go down right.
0: I mean, I'm not saying that I, you know, there's a lot of classes that I'm sitting through and I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this the future? <laughs> like, like the other day in one of my classes, this like really esteemed like African-American ethics professor, right, was giving a slideshow. And the first slide was like, OK, now let me explain. You know, let me let me propose the idea that race is a social construct. And mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm if we're at this level of conversation, the church is as good as dead. Okay. And for him to go through that and I'm just thinking, Oh my gosh. So there are many moments where I'm like, all right, it's time to like, you know, pull up my hoodie and just like put my head down and just, and just like bow out of the conversation. You know, I have many moments like that and I'm sure y'all do too. Um, yeah, but I, like I said, like there are some places where I find some creativity and some glimmers of of something. Um, I won't even say like reclaiming or rec- I would say like a delinking of something and a reconstituting mm-hmm. of something else mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. what I would maybe say. Maybe call That's it cool. Mm-hmm.
2: That's cool. It's cool. Thank you. Y'all got some? Why are you doing this thing?
4: That is a really good question. I think divinity school maybe my fellow friends would agree is a journey of wrestling mm-hmm. of wrestling mm-hmm. with what the church is about what the church has historically been or been about um the core of what christianity is mm-hmm. who jesus is why these things why we believe in the divine mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. the world looks differently because the divine is here upon us within us um, so I've done a lot of wrestling. I think I came into divinity school really, really, really fired up about justice and passionate about walking the walk. Um, and so div school has been a challenge to sit and be grounded in the foundations of the core of what our Christian faith is. And so a lot of my research has been pertaining to the intersections of race, Christianity and colonization, and really having to untangle some very, very, very messy things in the history of the church. Um, And I feel like I have this conversation with a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christian as to like, Meredith, why do you do this? Like, like, why are you a part of that institution that promotes so much bad and ugliness in the world? And I think the way that I can say it now is... That, I mean, if we get to the core of Jesus once again, like Jesus always said, follow me. Like Jesus never said, worship me. Um, And so like we think that that Jesus was the start of the church Hmm. by being with the poor, with the marginalized, um, with the most vulnerable, with the person that was cast out. But over history, what people have done is gotten that conception of like a beloved community, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, kingdom mm-hmm, living mm-hmm, completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's not like God is not the problem. Jesus is the example we follow. Like the Holy Spirit is among us. It's what people have done with that that has obliterated the entire purpose of what Christianity means. And so I think I've done a lot of wrestling. I've done a lot of learning of ugly truths, a lot of ugly truths of the history um, of Christianity, of hard things to wrestle with that are even in the mm -hmm, Bible. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I think I've been able to see glimmers of hope and resiliency through places like the black church um, and carry um, just instances of the way that the Holy spirit has acted through history, through a lot of things that have happened through um, the deliverance from Egypt of the slaves, even through Um, the times in which, um, yeah, even the times coming out of slavery, even in the United States, but times in which there have been resistance in which God has carried and acted and really shown up and shown light and given us glimmers of what the church is and what the church ought to be. So I think right now I'm living in a point of recognizing that what the world is, is ugly and messy and the church is getting it wrong right now, but I think I also have this glimpse of what the world ought to be and what the church ought to be. And so I think, like similar to what Angie was saying, I have glimpses of creativity and ways that we can imagine what living the kingdom on earth could be um, and what it should be. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. That's cool. Thank
4: you. Yeah, man.
5: So your question was why? Why are
2: you doing this, bro? You, I right. mean, you,
5: man, there's—I don't even know where to begin. There's, you might have to edit down this, this response. <laughs> but um, so, I didn't even know what seminary was or who it was for about two or three years ago. I, mm-hmm. I thought seminary, divinity school, was something for Catholic priests. I didn't understand uh, because my my faith walk, my connection to my um, my faith tradition was you know strictly through relationships my local church community and uh had this really profound opening to to love and and just opened up relationships that were that were that were super painful in my family and uh just really transformed just the way in which i operated and expanded my um my vision of what love was and made me made me care in a whole new way so i had this beautiful this beautiful a uh, relational back, backdrop. So, how I came to divinity school or seminary was through um, spending a year in uh, Westside, Chicago in uh, Lawndale, where it was the first time I was ever a minority, and so I found myself in this in um, in a predominantly African American community for the first time, and it was and that this is what introduced me to the, the Christian Community Development Program. They had a, they partnered with. Our local church, but the reason I bring that up um, to just to tie into you know why the church is so divisive. So I came from one. What I didn't realize is I came from one social context that I was completely unaware of in a in a suburban, predominantly white uh, neighborhood in um, wherever my church community was outside of Philadelphia, and that was all I knew. That was my experience. And that shaped the way in which I saw my faith too, and what mm-hmm, I cared about. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I get plopped down into this uh, predominantly African American uh, community, and the gospel seemed to to come alive in a completely different way. and Talk about issues that I didn't even know were going on in America. I didn't know there was. I didn't know that racism was was something that was such was as, as pertinent as an issue as it was in the during the civil rights movement, and that that fit my faith had something to say about that. Um, and so. I feel like I'm going, I'm, I'm going all over the place, but, um,
2: but you do, but you, 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 you just made a, you just, you just said something that like, I like, I, like I've seen it, I've heard it, I understand it, but it still baffles my mind. Right. Like you grew up, how I, I don't want, if you're okay tell me your age, how old are you? 30. You're 30. Right. Mm-hmm. And you just said like, I grew up and I didn't I, I didn't know race was still a right. problem. Right? right. Like like that. I know baffles. I'm ashamed to say it. Right. No, you don't have to be ashamed to say it. it was just right. the truth. So I, I think that's kind of when we start talking about voting mm-hmm. and we start talking about divisiveness within the church and uh, or within Christianity to even a bigger picture mm-hmm. that. When we start to look down those lines, it's people who over here who say they love Jesus and people over here who say they love Jesus. And they and they and they're the, the politics breaks that up. Right. So there's no real central. What's the central idea of this church thing, of this Christianity thing? Right. That's why I, that's why I was like, why are you in divinity school in this right. in this space and time? It's going to divide you. It's going to put you in. Right. In a place. If Are you going to seek coordination? Right. And Mm -hmm. if you seek coordination with whom and and with whom puts you in a in a a camp and Mm -hmm. in a camp puts you on one side of an issue or other. And then all of a sudden you're no good to the real world out here. That is that is wondering and suffering and thinking, how do we move forward? Right. Not that that would be you, but that like but. That's kind of a path that the, that this this idea puts you on. Now y'all 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 have y'all have said something different. Um, you've you've concentrated on on Jesus, and you're concentrating on justice, and you're concentrating on. I mean, you're taking classes on hip hop. Like my goodness, right? Like so, I think that's different. But I think when we when we bring it back to voter apathy um, and why people don't want to vote um, and um, we can't. We're we're out going around the country as people of faith, meeting with other people of faith to go, hey, um, just vote for the greater good, right? And maybe that'll bring us together because it's. We we rode through. We I'll give you an example. We rode through West Virginia to, to come here from Ohio. And we rode up one side of, like, a, a, a mountain to get to a state park, and we drove back down the other side of it. When we drove up one side of it, it was all these Biden signs, right? And when we drove down the other side of it, it was all these Confederate flags and Trump signs. And these people live literally across from one another, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I guarantee you most of those people will say they are Christians because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's the Southern— uh, uh, you know, I won't talk about my Southern bias, but they're in the South, so they probably they probably are connected with religion in one way or another. So anyway, Um, last question to let y'all go. How do you as um, persons of color, women of color uh, and or folks in divinity school see the next month unfolding as we do head towards this election right how is that within the communities you live in how is that in in the spaces you're studying like what what would you what would you say to people from from your perspective your community your uh, your part of the world like how does that connect to to the other parts of the world what would you, what, what would you say
0: Well, if I could jump in and talk a little bit about the Asian vote for a second. Yeah, absolutely. So this is sort of related to your question, but maybe not answering your question. But uh, one thing I want to point out is that Asian Americans are the fastest growing population in the U.S. Mm -hmm. We are the fastest growing. We are also the fastest growing population in North Carolina. There's an organization called North Carolina Asian Americans Together. And from their stats since 2010, the number of eligible, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander voters in North Carolina grew 43% more than five times faster than the statewide growing growth rate of North Carolina. So like we're, uh, we're under, we're like second highest for like the, the Mm -hmm. Asian population Mm -hmm. growing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I feel like so fifty six percent of Asian American voters turned out in North Carolina. Um, there are eighty nine thousand registered Asian American voters in North Carolina, and and I feel like the places where we can make the most difference are this area, the Triangle area, Raleigh, and then Charlotte, and then Greensboro. And um, I think, I think, I, I think it's interesting. Um, how hidden this is mm-hmm. like there, there is a very powerful, very fast growing. I and mean, we have a lot of the fa- the fastest growing ethnic group is the Indian Americans. Mm-hmm. OK, so they're here for lots of different kinds of jobs in the Triangle area. And I don't really hear about very concentrated efforts made towards this group of people of color to go out and register and vote. Um m- Maybe they're uh, maybe they've transferred here. Maybe they can transfer their uh-huh. vote or, uh-huh. or or something like that. Or maybe they're not registered. Or maybe that's just something that they're not interested in. But um, I, I do see that as a point of um, maybe a growth area. That I think, like, if we're to, if we're to group all people of color together, right? I think that is a significantly overlooked area uh-huh. in the church. I will say um, for a lot of immigrant churches, right just survival mm-hmm. money is mm-hmm. important. Jobs are important. And so like my dad, who is a janitor who owned a janitorial company, he is very interested in um, his, his own economics for his family's future growth. And I mm-hmm. benefit from that for sure. Um, does that mean that, does that affect his politics? Most definitely. Uh, but on the most part, most Asian Americans vote um, vote Democrat. Just to say I think, I think that's an overlooked area that I think, uh, churches or, or, um, communities of faith can maybe focus a little bit more on. Um, and for me, um, like I, I grew up in Georgia. I I live in North Carolina. I lived in Ohio Mm -hmm. um, and then Chicago for a little bit, but like mostly like red and like swing states. Mm -hmm. That's like my, where I'm mostly stationed. And um, the culture um, is surrounded, is is based on the myth of the American dream, Mm -hmm. right? This like Southern culture is very ingrained in us. It's very culture, cultural. And to break out of that, It's so hard because the myth is so strong. Mm -hmm. Like it Mm -hmm. it is so unbreakable because Mm -hmm. it works for them. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. works Mm -hmm. for us to keep things as they are. And it's very hard. Like you could talk to them to your blue in the face and I've, and I've tried. So you're blue in the face. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very hard to turn around the myth. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And, And I think maybe the only possibility that I see is if, if, If they know or if they find out that the myth doesn't work for them. But as long as the myth plays to their interests, Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm.
0: nothing's changing their mind. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: As long as Korean Americans, uh, Koreans who immigrate here, who emigrate here, as long as they're they're seeking economic opportunities and growth, however, whatever means necessary to escape poverty from where Mm -hmm, they came from. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're going to vote that way. They're going to act that way. Until they see that the myth doesn't work for them mm-hmm, anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if, if there's a way magically to make that happen, I'm not really sure. I wish, uh, faith communities could engage, engage in that a, a little bit more. But, you know, faith, a lot of faith communities of color, they, they organize, right? They organize around survival and interest mm-hmm. and, and all of that stuff. And if a lot of immigrant populations are focused around like, their their economics like their Uh their growth Uh their personal wealth um building building some sort of wealth and the american dream um i I feel like they're gonna vote that way you know what i mean so i I, so i'm like both and i'm like man i want really i want all asians to go and vote but but like Don't vote this way, you know, (laughs) but I I do want them to be more engaged. Uh I do want uh more Asian communities to be engaged Uh for uh sure. And that's just where that's at. Thank
2: you. That answers the question exactly. Thank you. (laughs) What you got from your context, your place, like same, same, same idea. So go for it.
1: Yeah. Um, So thinking about, so now being in a different environment, talking, alluding to that bubble um, that Meredith was speaking about, where it seems like there's a lot of energy around voting and, um, making sure you're registered. So even just where I live now, the the dorms, residence halls, people have signs up, making sure you vote. Um, you can't walk a few feet without mm-hmm. somebody standing there making sure that, you know, mm-hmm. you need to register, mm-hmm. need to change your mm-hmm. address. Um, so I feel like I don't have much to say, at least right now, to that bubble. Uh, but reflecting on um, just my context and even some of like what we, we've we learned in yeah, Chicago, I've always taken it home. I think the big mm-hmm. issue has always been um, you can be in these bubbles and be in the same spaces, and it you know feels nice to you know organize over certain things or come together over a common issue. Um, but it helps when we can take that message mm-hmm, back home mm-hmm, to people mm-hmm, who either mm-hmm. one may not have the um, ability to be in spaces like this, or um, yeah, may not care to, whatever it may be, um, to to taking that home. So in, in thinking about for me taking that home being uh, the top on the priority list is really checking in with family. Like, where are y'all at for real with voting? Yeah, that's good. Um, and so, because of course, I mean, and thankfully you come from a household that, you know, votes and all the way up to grandma making, you know, 89. still you know, mm-hmm. make sure she's mm-hmm. going, going out to vote. But beyond that, mm-hmm. um, really, I feel like my conviction just our conversation here and thinking about that. That's my, I need to take my own advice, like go home. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> really go home mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and checking in there. Um, yeah.
2: Nice. That's Thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. No, Good stuff. Appreciate yeah. it. What you got? Your context, like, what, what would you say and and uh, uh, to kind of a broader audience of folks?
5: Just give me the nod. Um, so f- for uh, for my immediate context, um, I'm I want to engage in uh, like phone banking over the next couple. I'm going to be volunteering mm-hmm. for that um, and. But uh, in between that, what has been important to me, kind of similar to what Steph was talking about, is checking in with my family and my friends. And I, literally on the way over here uh, to come meet y'all, was I was on the phone with my mom talking about this exact thing. We've been having ongoing conversations because she is very conservative uh, person of faith. And, you know, we went to the same church growing up and now we, we see things completely different. But um, I'm, seeing, I'm using it as a practice uh, to not, to not be at odds and butt heads and to be like, Oh, I'm right. You're wrong. And and so on and so Mm -hmm, forth. But, mm -hmm. um, I've been really seeing as a practice on how can we engage with, how can I engage with people who, who are set in this one world view? Mm -hmm. And how can I take, and so we, I've been, our conversations have kind of been on a journey of how my, like this social context of how powerful that is. Um, of in terms of forming the way in which we see everything the way they ex- in which we experience life and how blinding the powerful blindness of it of that other people people of color are experiencing the world in a completely different way just because of the shade of our skin or maybe the the area in which we grew up and so it's been really it's you know there's there's definitely been she's been challenging a lot of the things that I'm saying but she's open to the conversation because you know my hope is I can get her to understand, like how important it is to see, to see how policies that may not negatively affect us, as what as uh, you know, I come from a white family, but how they severely negatively affect and have for decades, um, even since the beginning of our country, uh, people of color, people that aren't white, and so that. I mean, even if it's just one person, I mean, obviously, I'm, my hope is to have many more conversations and, you know, go beyond just this election. But I think it's super important we learn, you know, for me, but all of us to, to learn tools, how to invite people on the journeys that we've been on. Because I didn't wake up one day and just think differently mm-hmm, and see, mm-hmm, see mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it's been a journey of books, of classes, of conversations, of living in a neighborhood for two years that was totally different from what I was used to. So, because I think we get so supercharged about this stuff politically that we, we create enemies instead of inviting them in to our, the journey cool, and cool. to see things differently. So anyway, that's, that's kind of where I'm at and cool. hopefully Thank do some you. phone banking.
2: Any final stuff to add?
4: It's hard for me to put words to this. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like the thing that I feel more than anything is just a, like a crazy sense of urgency. Like, I feel like I'm just really, really, really angry right now mm. Um, I think given the state of the world, given in the midst of a world pandemic, um, the recent events of our country, I think I just feel an overwhelming sense of despair and grief. And I think that mixed with a sense of urgency of this is not okay. Like our community neighbors are being affected in very horrible and humane ways. And that is not okay. Mm -hmm. Like that... Mm -hmm. That cannot be the case. Like, we need to fight. Like, our life depend, depends on it. Like, our neighbor's life depends mm-hmm, on it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't really know what I foresee for the next month. I just know that I'm very mad. Um, I'm overtaken by grief. And I think these conversations are incredibly important. I feel like part of me is numb to thinking about what November 4th could look like. The morning we wake up and a decision is made. But again, I think we need to reiterate, we need to become educated on what's going on in our local communities because it's not just a matter Mm -hmm. of a presidential Mm -hmm. election this year. I think that's important, but I think we need to do the work and educate ourselves on ways that injustice is happening in our own communities and people that are going to stand up against that. And I think that's something that I just haven't really thought about yet, but I need to sit down and give myself space to understand Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who are people that are coming to the plate in my own city, in my own town Mm -hmm. that can actually like enact change in this local place that will affect so many disenfranchised people. Um, because at the end of the day, a replacement of a president Mm -hmm. is not going to fix all of the issues. We still have a lot more fighting and resisting and advocating to do, um, but i think we need to find spaces we've talked bill and i have talked about this a lot lately we need to find spaces to be able to imagine and be able to be creative and be mm-hmm, able to mm-hmm. find like that creative energy which can give us glimmers of hope right um mm-hmm. and i think as christians like i think about this all the time that we have to live into this vision that the holy spirit offers us of what a restored, beautiful, just, um, kingdom on earth can look like. And I think we need to take a step in that direction, whatever that looks like, educating ourselves, taking time away, Mm -hmm. um, being kind to ourselves, being gracious and patient to ourselves during this time. Um, but I think we need to remember what does it look like in order to take a step forward into a more just, and perfect kingdom like God intended this world to be.
2: Oh nice. Thank you. Well thank you all. Uh this um this has been this has been great and uh I am I'm excited uh to see um what divinity school when you're done like where that lands you also uh, so, <laughs> so uh I am Leroy Barber. This is the Sit Up Podcast from Durham, North Carolina <laughs> <laughs> Let's begin. Live life like you know the clock's ticking. On your mark, get set ready. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.